Lost in Space. Good afternoon, Marlowe. Good afternoon, the world. How are we? Welcome to Tech Bars. My name's Sam Sethi. We're here on Marlowe FM. Um, we've got our weekly show called Lost in Space. I've got one of my friends with me in here today. Hello, who are you? Hi, uh, my name's Jules Hurd and I am the managing director of a relatively newly formed strategic communications company called Five in a Boat. Excellent. We're going to learn lots and lots about what Five in a Boat is, what Jules does in this tech industry of ours. Obviously, we're going to start this week off with uh, a little look at the news and see what's been going on in the world of tech and business. And then we're going to do what I call a lost in space. It's a bit like a desert island disc for technology entrepreneurs. We're going to find out where Jules started it all, where what she's been doing on her little journey into starting her own company, which is really fascinating. Um, but we're going to start off with a little bit of music and uh, let's let's have a uh, little interlude with um, our first track up. So this is Babylon and Spaceman. We're going to enjoy this one. And when we come back, we're going to be talking to Jules about news and tech this week. Um, there's some stuff from uh, Google, obviously. Lots of stuff coming out of China this week.
little spaceman from Babylon Zoo to kick the show off with. So, let's start off with looking through the papers and through the web and seeing what's been going on. Um, the story that grabbed me most this week to begin with is um, contactless payments for the first time have overtaken money as the um, means of payment. So, are you a contactless payment fan? Do you use your phone for things or oyster cards or what do you do or are you a cash girl uh no definitely not a cash girl i'm a little bit like the queen when it comes to that <laughs> um i uh I, it's quite random um i operate a lot in the technology space but i'm not actually an early adopter um fortunately my husband actually works in mobile payments so he tells me what i should and shouldn't be using um i'm an apple pay girl um through and through and then just use online payments paypal and stuff like that it's, it's really for me it's like easy access so do you remember the first time you ever made a contactless payment? Uh, yeah, because I had the phone upside down, so uh, that wasn't very helpful. <laughs> yeah, we're all working. Which way did it go? <laughs> I was, I, I, I actually, because um, obviously with your your standard bank card now, you get contactless, and that's quite nice and simple. You know, going down to country store there in Cookham, where we both live, um, and just making those payments. But obviously, there's a thirty pound limit. But I found out this week with Apple Pay, there is no limit. Correct, which is brilliant. If you go shopping with me, you definitely need the no £30 limit. <laughs> so um, that's, that's I think, the beginning of the end of cash, though, possibly. The, you know, this, this thing, coinage, has been around with us since, you know, the caveman. It's about time we sort of got rid of it, don't you think? Or, or is it going to be here for a long time to stay? Uh, you know what? I mean, it's going to be here um, for a fair bit longer because, you know, you've got the older generations that, that are used to a way of life and, you know, you know, silver service, it took them a very long time to actually start using the internet. So I don't think it's going to be an immediate thing. However, Generation Z um, or Z, however you want to pronounce it, have been born we'll into... We'll stay with Z. We're in England. Yeah, OK. I work with a lot of Americans. Um, uh, <laughs> born into a digital environment um, and, and so automatically, you know, go into that, don't even think about cash. Um, and they influence the older generations that will obviously expedite the process of, of online payments. Um, the downside, obviously, uh, is the potential for fraud. Um, so there needs to be the right systems in place to be able to mitigate that risk. Um, and also thinking about how to get more people to use it. So the potential for offering rewards-based schemes and things like that. But I think I agree with you, Sam. I think um, we're definitely going to see more of it, but it's not going to be everybody immediately. Yeah, I mean, Facebook came out at their last uh, conference with Facebook peer-to-peer uh, -peer payments mm -hmm. so you know cutting out banks even it's you know me to you payment yep. type thing yeah i've not used it yep. yet have you used it yeah so there's a really good app called circle right um and effectively that so if you're going out for dinner and you put it on your card you can then transfer peer-to-peer -peer, the, the, the other oh, person cool. transfers the difference yeah it's really good it's targeted at students so it's you know specifically good for the for those kind of audiences who uh, don't necessarily have a lot of money on them yeah so if, if we, we one of the things I do know that you know um, governments are very keen to do is to get rid of large note denominations and that going back to what you said about fraud is where it was so if you were drug smuggling because it's you know it's very easy with a cash environment not to be registering anything they used to carry 500 euro notes and so it was only a small wad and so they got rid of those high denomination notes now if you have to smuggle cash it's much higher um, so that's happened all around the world and I think it's just government so i again going to a digital payment system just means the black market will disappear that type of fraud um is that a good thing do you think or bad thing i mean it sounds like it's a good thing 
Yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> I don't think fraud's going to disappear because people just get savvier. Um, I mean, if you, you look at all the kind of scandals around hacking into systems and things like that, I don't think fraud's going to go away. But but ultimately, it will help improve the black market situation. Yeah, the the, the other area that we could cover is, you know, obviously blockchain and, and, and payments around that. I mean, but again, although they're supposed to be super secure, how many times do we read about, you know, hackers going into the large cash wallets, the digital wallets and taking out millions you know, of, of coins and, and bitcoins fundamentally uh, and just they're never found again. So I don't know if anything's secure right now. So cash or Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean, the thing is with Bitcoin and blockchain is, you know, they're still relatively new. It's, blockchain's an emergent technology that's only being introduced into, into you know, industries now that have never used it before. And it's going to, like anything, it's going to, you know, take time to get that right. Um, so the, the better hackers get, the better the people that prevent the hackers will get. Um, and ultimately, I think, you know, they'll get to a point where the systems are secure and inevitably there'll be a blip every now and then. But, um, but, but people are savvy and, and businesses are investing a lot of money to prevent that type of thing. So... I'm confident uh, it's the it's the right foot forward. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing a trend now. I mean, this week, again, announced in the news, uh, 60% of high street banks are going to be going shortly. You know, is, is that something you use? Do you go into the high street and use a bank? Have you been in one recently? Yeah, it's really painful. I try to avoid it like the plague. Um, customer service isn't very good. I only go there when I absolutely have to. Um, but I think um, you know, there, there's a whole world of new banks um, that are emerging, um, digital banks that are becoming much more lifestyle companions rather than it just being a pure, you know, monetary yeah, transaction. At- Atom's a good one like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, that's just a UK bank that's launching like that. Um, but yeah, again, uh, we also saw the merger of banks. So uh, Clydesdale Bank and uh, is merging with Virgin Money this week. So, we, you know, we're seeing closure of high streets and merging of high street banks. I think... Something is really happening in that space right now. Um, who do you bank with, if that's not too rude to ask? Uh, actually bank with Nationwide Building Society <laughs> <laughs> in Cookham, which is brilliant. Um, but, uh, and I've got, a, I've got a, an account, a few accounts at Lloyd's, but for my business banking. Yeah. I mean, I do all mine on my iPhone now with, you know, Santander. And it's, I have to say, I haven't been into a branch. I, well, I can't even remember the last time I wanted to go into a branch, let alone need to go into a branch. Yeah. So, you know, so I think we're, we're seeing this generation, our generation, the younger generation, you know, changing to this cashless world. Um, when you start to look forward, though, you know, where's this going to go? One area of the world that's worth looking at is um, obviously our friends in China in the Far East. Um, again, a bit of news this week. Um, $15.4 trillion was put through WeChat and Ali, uh, WePay and uh, Alipay, um, which is unbelievable, $15.4 trillion. And, you know, we're, we're only in the West just beginning to touch on this payment system. Um, I can see eventually, you know, most things going down that road. What's interesting though now, the the two players are fighting for market share. So they're actually subsidizing payments online. So they're actually paying for you to pay online, which is quite mad. Mm. Um, do you think other countries, you know, Europe will adopt this much quicker than they are today? Or is it, are we going to be laggards behind the Far East? Oh, I mean, like, look at the Far East in anything to do with tech. They're always first to the punch. Um, and then there's, like, countries like Israel that are also pretty technologically yeah. advanced. Um, so I don't know th- for sure we're not going to be first. I mean, I mean, if you look at anything, you look at virtual reality, you look at smartphones, 
you look at anything, you know, where does it come from? China and, and places around the Far East have played a massive part in driving those technologies forward. And, and sadly, the Western world does tend to be a follower. Well, on that note, we're going to have a little bit more music uh, before we go on to talk about more about China, uh, a company called JDCom and what they've been doing this week. But to begin with, we're going to go out and listen to a little bit of uh, a classic soul, soul, classic rock track. Let's try that one. David Bowie and uh, China Girl. Yeah. 
David Bowie, one of my favourite tracks, and Little China Girl. We were talking about contactless payments and cash and how actually WePay and Alipay are spending so much money, or people spending so much money on their contactless and digital payments. Still sticking on China. It seems to be China Week this week, I'm afraid. Um, JD.com. Now, if you've never heard of JD.com, they are the second largest e-commerce retailer in China. Uh slightly behind Alibaba, which is the world's largest or second largest behind Amazon. Um, so JD.com this week announced something quite interesting. They've opened their new factory, which uh, ships over 200,000 packages a day. Jules, how many people do you think man that factory? Well, I know the answer to this, so <laughs> <laughs> am I allowed to say? <laughs> yes, go on then, tell me. Four. <laughs> four. Yes, it's a lot of work for four people, wouldn't you say? You know, just pu- putting all those packages together? Or do they do nothing, do you think? Oh, I think they probably just press a few buttons every now and then. <laughs> I actually think they do less than that. Their job, which is even worse, is to service the robots. The humans are now servicing the robots. So they're there just to make sure that a robot, if it falls over or doesn't go on the right track or something, or needs a bit of a squeaky oil, I guess there's none of that used. Um, yeah, four humans. So... Again, if you have a look at um, Amazon, um, they bought a company years and years ago called Kiva, and they've got very similar um, warehousing facilities, which are you know not as intensive as they were for humans. Um, is it a good thing that humans are now moving out of that sort of you know high intensity pressure, potentially dangerous job? You know, what if you know they drop a package or you know strain a back? Is that a good thing that we take humans out and put robots in or? you know is there a danger so fundamentally i think that it is a good thing but i think part of the problem around the whole robotics ai discussion is that there's inherent fear from people that they will be out of jobs if if robots are introduced into the workplace um and actually it's just about a reallocation of 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 resources and, and putting robots to your point in positions where could actually ultimately help humans and there is personally i think there'll, there'll remain a space for both but I can understand uh, uh, why, why there's a fear. I mean, what, you know, what I'm seeing, I've been talking to a fair amount of startup companies as part of uh, what I'm doing with my business, and there's an awful lot of investors in the robotics and AI space. They clearly see the potential for it, um, which is great in terms of advancing businesses, driving more money for, for in, you know, industry and, and, and both in the economy. Um, however, there's always the question, A, am I going to be out of a job? And B, am I going to have a robot which programs itself? All you need to do is look at Westworld. Um, and it will end up overtaking everything that humans do. So so it's a balance, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, what, one, one area that I think is that uh, I used to have to remember, I don't know, how many facts and figures and numbers and telephone numbers. I Google everything. So have I freed up that space in my brain and my capacity to allow me to learn other skills and new skills and new things? And I think, you know, with robots and robotics and AI and ML machine learning, you know, we could free up those mundane, monotonous tasks to allow humans to do other more creative, um, you know, tasks that I think we're probably better suited to doing as well. Mm. You know, hopefully, although there was a symphony written by a robot recently (laughs) using AI, but um, hopefully that's where I think humans will be best utilised. The problem you've got, I think, is that not everyone, not everyone um, is uh, using... uh, AI and to their advantage. Oh, <laughs> we, we will say no to him. 
Sorry about that. So you just decided to ring me. Clearly, I, as I said, technology clearly hadn't put mute on. <laughs> That's right. So J, going back to JD Com though, very quickly. So this uh, this factory uh, with four people now looking after it. Um, what what one one thing that came out again this week was the fact that Google's invested five hundred and fifty million dollars into them. Mm. Now. From what I can read and understand, that's because Google wants to start to uh, get into the online shopping space to tackle Amazon. Do you think that's a good thing for Google to get into, or should they stick to their knitting and just remain a search engine? I think that to be in it to win it, you have to compete on every level with a company like Amazon. I mean, you know, you've seen... Apple do it, Facebook do it, Google do it. If you're going to be one of these big beer moths, um, then you then you have to be operating in, in, in all spaces. And, and Google's a great, you know, Google's, Google's doing some great things. It's, it, you know, it bunch, it, it's bought a bunch of very interesting companies. It runs incubation tanks. It brings people through its, you know, its programs. Um, so, so for sure, it, you know, if it wants to compete, it needs to be doing stuff like that. Yeah, I mean... Have you have you got uh, an Amazon Alexa at home, or have you got a Google Home Assistant, or have you got none? I've got neither. Neither. I don't want to be spied on. By who? <laughs> <laughs> what there have you, you go. got? That's so interesting. Yeah. No, okay. So um, I obviously have got an Amazon Alexa. In fact, anyone who knows me knows I've got more than one. I've got six, sadly. So have you? I gave my dad mine. So what are you spying him instead? Exactly, <laughs> it's much more interesting. <laughs> so um, one of the areas that I've always said though is that um, in the home assistant space, um, Amazon's way way ahead, not just in sales, but in functionality and capability. Mm. For me, because. Um, if I want to find a bit of information or fact, well, Amazon's good enough. It's, it's probably not as good as Google. But if I want to order something, you know, Amazon A, order me some batteries, Amazon, order, I won't say her name just in case I end up ordering it for somebody else. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, for me, um, where I think those voice assistants and digital assistants are going to be much more useful. And Google hasn't got anything. If I had a Google assistant at home and said, you know, get me tickets to whatever, um, I'm not sure how they fulfill. So maybe this is what this investment's about. Maybe they're going to build their own online store in partnership with somebody like JD.com. That would be a, a way that they get their foot in. Or should they buy Walmart? Mm, I don't know about that. I mean, I think... Um, I think I think I mean I've used Alexa obviously and and it's great when you integrate it with music because you can just Alexa play me whatever and and obviously I work in the music space and I and I love music in terms of shopping I think um you're absolutely right I also think they could be fundamentally uh useful in education and teaching children um so I think that there are there are lots of um opportunities for voice activated technologies in terms of whether they're going to go and Google's going to go and buy Walmart I don't know the answer to that question yeah, well, the only reason I, I mention that is because Amazon bought um, uh, fresh fu- fresh foods over in the USA. And Whole, re- foods. Whole foods. Whole foods. Whole I know. Foods. That was yeah. it. Thank you very much. I knew I had food in it. Um, and uh, what they are looking at from what I've heard on the grapevine is they're looking at either something like M&S or Cardo or Waitrose in this country. Again, having that fulfillment to the next stage of home delivery. Again, Google doesn't seem to be even having a foot into that space. So again, you know, 
either they've got to go and get a whole distribution network, and Walmart would be the most natural one in the US to buy, uh, or Google would start in another country, maybe test it out in China or test it out here in the UK. Yeah. Which is why I was wondering, you know, would they buy somebody like Walmart or would they buy M&S or whoever just to get into it? Because I don't think those high street retailers are going to last much longer. No, I do, I'd agree with you on that one. I think, you know, you've got to ultimately look what the customer wants. Customer wants ease. They want accessibility. It's, it's, de- it's delivering that end-to-end solution, which is something that Amazon's incredibly good at doing. Um, so ultimately, to, as I said you know, before, to stay competitive in the space, then its competitors need to be looking at alternative strategies for ac- customer acquisition and delivering better experiences. Okay, so let's have a look at what else was in the news. Um, one thing that I've been excited about, and I, you know, obviously I'm a techie, um, the 5G standard was finally ratified. Jules, wake up. No, seriously. Um, I'm thinking about my pain point this week, which is, which is about we, to... We both have had this pain point, which is why I'm mentioning it. So 5G, for those of you who don't know out there, is uh, the next standard in mobile communication or mobile uh, connectivity. So we've had our 3G, we've had our 4G and 5G. And in many ways, what you want to think about is throughput of uh, data. So your 3G would let you, you know, watch the video... In about a minute, 4G would let you watch it pretty much close to instantly. And 5G is 100 megabits per second to the phone. And there are countries, again, in the Far East that already have a pseudo 5G, like in Singapore. And actually in Sweden, they have a very fast mobile. Um, Having 5G, which we, we reckon will be about 2020, 2021, before we see the first implementation. But Jules... What's your feelings on BT this week? Because I'm, I'm going to tell you what my feelings are in a minute. So B, BT's been particularly brilliant uh, to me over the last few weeks. Um, effectively spent 12 months paying double, so paying for one line but twice. And then when I was finally refunded, they cut us off, which is even better. Trying to run a business from home where you have no broadband uh, and you're cut off for three weeks is not necessarily the thing you want to be waking up to every morning. And then when you've got a three-year-old and she likes watching Topsy and Tim uh, and you can't can't give her any TV access that just makes it even harder. <laughs> so uh, I'm all for 5G. Bring it on. Let's get rid of BT. Yeah, which is what I'm saying is what will 5G do? I mean, uh, by the way, I had uh, BT, thankfully, when I rebooted the router, cut my broadband off. So I, I'm without broadband at home and I've got teenage kids. So you can imagine how much data they're using on their phones right now. But the goal, I guess, with 5G is to remove the fixed line connectivity to the home. You know, that old copper network. Uh, no need for the last mile fibre. Um, can't wait for it, really, personally. Just everywhere and anywhere. Which, um, But it, with 5G, I think, are there things that you can envisage that go beyond just replacing, um, you know, broadband in the home? You know, cars will have 5G. You know, IoT, you know, uh, your fridge will have a connection. You know, it should be the next generation, I think, of where the internet and the web's going, really. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, th- I think there's multiple benefits. I mean, there's everything from the kind of the tech sides like lower latency and, and things like that to being able to integrate 5G into self-driving cars. People that are into online gaming, it's a it's a winner for them. I mean, there, there's there's multiple uh, positives of, of of kind of like 5G integration into both the home and and uh, the workplace. Okay, we're going to have a another court short break. Um, this one here is a track that I've been promoting. She's lovely. She's a UK singer. She's called Tamia. And uh, this, this girl is going to be a massive, massive hit. I think she's going to win a Brit at the next year's uh, awards. Uh, and it's called Leave It Smoking.
we go, Tamiya, Leave It Smoking. Again, a track I love, it's a new soul track out. And if you want to listen to more music like that, we have our soul show on, on Marlowe FM. Uh, tune into them on a Thursday night. But anyway, let's get back to Tech Bars and uh, Lost in Space. And we are talking to my good friend Julia Hurd, or Jules, and we're talking about what happened this week in the news, in the tech and business community. Um, one of the things that came up Jules, was um, the World Health Organization announced that gaming now is officially noted as an addiction and on the NHS you can now get treated for gaming. Yeah. Do you think it's an addiction? Uh, For sure it's an addiction. I mean, you only have to look at most of my past boyfriends. One of them actually decided he'd rather spend four hours on World of Warcraft than hang out with me. So I would say that's probably an addiction. (laughs) That's why he's ex. (laughs) Well, that's exactly... No, that's not not the reason why he's ex, but I won't Uh, go into that. Okay, (laughs) yes, we won't. No, but I I, I know my godson, um, he's just in the middle of his university, but before he went to university, he would play from about 10 at night till about 3 or 4 in the morning with his mates. And in fact, one day I remember, they were they lived next door to each other. They would actually mm-hmm. go home to their own separate homes, get on, talk over communication and play rather than sit in the same room and do it together. It's just mad. Yep, yeah. So is it a boy thing, girl thing? Um, well, predominantly boys, but a lot of girls game as, game as well. So I worked for a games company called Codemasters many moons ago. Um, and then it was pretty much, um, you, you know, a boy, boy driven, first person shooter, strategy games, et cetera, et cetera. Now, of course, you've got the whole esports uh, integration into the gaming community. So it's not just the gamers, it's the people watching the gamers. I know, I don't get my head around that. How do you watch a game and find crazy. it exciting? Lots of money has been made in that field, though. And there are professional esports teams yeah. that are getting paid to do that. Um, so I, I'm just surprised that it took the World Health Organization this long to catch up. I mean, it, it really is a problem. Uh, I, I mean, my view is that I think kids, kids, and not even just kids, a lot of adults do as well, need, need some form of escapism. And gaming can be that escapism, but not when you're doing it 12 hours a day. Yeah, I mean, as parents, we both are parents of children at different age groups. You know, we, we worry about letting them out like we would have done when we were younger so we bring them back into the house so you know social media you know snapchat or whatsapp or whatever is mm-hmm. one digital playground and i guess gaming is the other digital playground that they that we feel safe that they're in the house but actually they're online playing with whoever mm-hmm. we don't know mm-hmm. um mad news this week have you ever heard of the game Fortnite? no Fortnite is uh, a game that basically has only been around for 90 odd days and its first 90 days, it grossed $100 million from... Uh, it's an iOS game. It's a multi-user, shoot em up build em up game. I'm not a gamer, as you can tell by my language. Um, but it's quite amazing. If you, I'm going to actually play this game. I'm going to go and try it, because it's one of those that fascinates me. How do you get over 125 million people playing this game? I mean, it's, it's you know, you group together with other friends, or strangers even... And you go and attack someone else to win your uh, objective. But then they could suddenly gang up on you and you could go another direction. It's, you know, this is, to me, quite an amazing crowdsourced gaming online. It seems a really fascinating thing. I've never tried it. I'm not Mm. a gamer. You you don't game at all, though, at all. Uh not not really probably because I've become addicted um no and he doesn't probably because he definitely would become addicted (laughs) so uh I mean I I have done um I'm definitely a first person shooter as opposed to any any kind of strategy games um but I prefer real sport okay 
You and I will go on to Fortnite later and we'll have a go. Okay. But then we'll just put it down after about five minutes because we realise <laughs> we're both useless at it. Um, other things in the news, and just the last bits really. Um, this week, the government announced that ICT is a GCSE, um, Information Communication Technology, or Word Documents, as I like to call it, um, is no longer going to be a GCSE. It's too, too easy. Uh, and they're bringing in computer science as a GCSE next year, which is great. I've all, I, you know, I think kids should be able to code, you know, not, you know, a super great coding, but they should have a grounding in it, just like they have it in, you know, grammar and they have in basic mathematics. What do you think, you know, is that something you want Seraphine, your daughter, to do? Or? Yeah, absolutely. I, You know, there's a massive shortage f- for women coders across the world. It's a problem that it's been, that's been longstanding and now there are a number of organisations and people that work or have worked at organisations like Microsoft that are setting up their own businesses to enable women um, specifically to be able to enter into that industry and learn how to code at a young age and the problem is there's barriers at the moment it's always been seen as a male dominated uh, thing so uh, yeah, I'd love Seraphine to learn to code I want her to ha- be as equipped as she possibly can with as, with as many skills as she can so that so she, has a, she has a fighting chance of succeeding in this world yeah I mean you know I've, I want my daughters but they, they never took an interest that's mm. sadly what it is and that's what they're saying is it, girls are finding computer science is too hard they, they're not going into it so I think it was less than 12% of girls you know were choosing it as a subject compared to like 40 50 percent of boys is, is there a an eighth thing with computer coding is it something boys do better is there a reason do you think i i mean probably <coughs> i don't know the answer to it i would say that there are definitely things in life that that men are better than, than, than women at sorry ian you heard that here first <laughs> <laughs> um i but i think there's an education process i mean there's been a legacy of women not going into technology or a very small percentage going into technology and programming forms part of that. So it's how you educate girls and demonstrate that they are going to be effective in that field if they choose to do it. And maybe it's about how you communicate it, looking at, you know, you can't apply the same language to men and women. So so maybe that maybe that's the yeah, solution. The, 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 there's a, you know, a lot of people saying is bro culture, you know, men in, you know, you know fat, the, the nerdy fats, uh, hoodie, gamer or nerdy fat hoodie coder you know that bro culture image that's out there it's not actually a true image by the way um you know i know a lot of coders don't Mm. know that many gamers um but um i do think it is a very isolating type environment when you're coding it's not exactly a a collaborative environment maybe that's what it is maybe men quite happily just go into a shell and code i don't know i haven't the answer either but um yeah it's it's interesting to see that you know, they're, they're moving away from that basic ICT anyway. That's good. Yeah, yeah. I think I think also when it comes to things like this, it's about having role models. So children want people they can look up to in whatever capacity. And if there are women that are championing that space, then, then it just makes it so much more accessible for them. Mm. Well, let's hope so, because I've got two girls and I really do want them to get into coding. And, I, and you know, and even if it's just to the level of building their own websites, doing a little bit of, uh, you know, understanding of how it works, even mm. if they don't go and build the whole thing. When they get into work, I think if you know how it works, it's going to be easier for them to at least build a business around it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, last, lastly, China. Back to them again, sadly. Um, China are extending their Chinese surveillance system. So for those who haven't heard, China have built a social score system. So they've got facial recognition uh, and they've got video cameras everywhere. So what they can do now is if you cross the road jaywalking, I think the Americans call it, um, you get a, a fine and you can have it remotely sent to you. And But what they've now done is they've put a score on everyone, a bit like a clout score, which... Uh, so now you might have 100 as your starting point. And if you've got 
fines or penalties you go negative down so you might get down to 60 or 50 a bit like your credit score and but you can get higher scores if you associate yourself with good people or you do good things um good good thing or bad thing do you think this this human scoring of people i can see um I can see both sides of it. I personally, I think it's probably very good if it's applied in the right way. I mean, if you take any form of crime, for instance, and people are getting scored and they're, they're being over and above, obviously, you know, being penalised by the judicial system, they're being scored and it's impacting other areas of their life, then it can only be a good thing. But sometimes it can be taken too far and, and then I don't necessarily think that is a good thing. So it's about maintaining the right balance. Yeah, because in America, you've got three strikes and out, you know. Would it be you get to 10 points and out? Could be five points. Five I think points. about it. <laughs> <laughs> Buy a bonus point. Um, yeah, because what they've also done is, um, if you've got a cracked window screen in in China, you know, again, you get a fine for these things. You know, so they can. I, I don't know if I'm comfortable with privacy, having the government look at me at that level. You know, all the time. You know, we worried about Alexa. You know, snooping on us. This this takes it to the far extreme. I think. Well, but China China snoops on everyone anyway, so. They've been doing it for years. So it's just another thing, another string to their bow. OK, we, we're going to have a, a, another quick break, music break. Um, and when we come back, we're going to go and find out lots more about Jules. I think we've covered enough about the news this week and what's been going on. Um, so let's have a little bit of Rockwell. And somebody's watching me.
in space. So there we go. Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, my name's Sam Sethi. Here we go with the section we call Lost in Space. I'm with my friend Julia Hurd. Julie Hurd, or Jules, as she's known to her friends. She's recently started her own company called Five in a Boat, which we're going to learn a lot more about. But uh, let's find out a little bit about young Julie. Mm-hmm. Let's see what we can find out. So, Jules, where were you born? Uh, I don't admit this to many people, so please don't tell anyone. I was born in Northampton. Why not? <laughs> if you've ever been there, you'll know. Uh, though it did make some very good shoes and I think still does. I always used to think of Northampton's on the way to somewhere, but you just go through it. They've got a pretty good uh, rugby scene, the Saints. They have, actually, yeah, I'll give you that. But I was a Leicester Tigers man, so... Oh, OK. <laughs> anyway, so, young Jules, mum and dad, what did they do? So, they both uh, wanted to go into the entertainment industry to start with. Mum was accepted for drama school, dad was in a band, but they quit it to have kids. Mum became a teacher, so did various acting through teaching, and, uh, and dad went into employment law. Sublime <laughs> to the ridiculous. OK. Any entrepreneurs in the family and from that early age, mum and dad? Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. It depends on how you define entrepreneur. I mean, mum's very creative. So one of the things she did when she was teaching is she was teaching the kids about the Berlin Wall. So she got all of the kids to build a wall through the school to teach them about the divide and things like that. So her kind of entrepreneurial creative spirit came through in that way, but not in terms of starting her own business or anything like that. And have you got any siblings? I have a sister called Lucy, who's uh, in the police force. So she's not in the business world then? No, definitely not. Does she ever want to leave the police and go that way, or do you think... I don't think she wants to work at all, to be honest. Uh, (laughs) It's just (laughs) finding somebody that will keep her in the style to which she'd like to become accustomed to. Right, okay. Yeah, so a big, tall rugby player, if I remember (laughs) rightly, would be perfect. (laughs) Um, Okay, so Northampton, where did you go after Northampton? What happened? You left early? I left at 18. Um, I went So not to... that soon. You left... <laughs> well, I did have to finish my GCSEs and A-levels. Oh, OK. I'll let you off. Yeah. Um, I went to... Actually, I took a year off afterwards because I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do. So I sort of worked in hotels and, and things like that. And then I decided I wanted to be a journalist. Um, <clears throat> I went to Sheffield on a journalism course which they massively changed the structure of it. I was interested in the media production side, which they completely cut from the course. So I finished my year and then uh, transferred to a PR degree at Bournemouth, where I spent four years with a a gap year in London. So, come on, first 2-1 or a 2-2? It was a drinker's degree, but... <laughs> you got the Desmond. Um, but I got my Desmond, but I'd, I had been promised a job um, already, so I was kind of a little bit lax. It's all right, Jill got a 2-2, two, she's, <laughs> she's happy to say that. I, uh, don't, I don't have a first degree. I have a first in, in, in life. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, I've got a deal with my daughter, if, if she's off to Nottingham. And so if she gets a first, I pay for her grant. If she gets a 2-1, we go half. If she gets a 2-2, two, two, it's all hers. Oh dear, no pressure then. Yeah, well at least, you know, if she's drinking, she can have the debt as well. I'm, I'm not taking that. Um, okay, so you started off, you just said, in a PR company. But before we go into that, um, mm. I want to play your first track. Okay. So um, tell us about your first track and why you want to hear it. So my first track uh, conjures up very happy memories of my childhood. Um, My mum's always been my role model and uh, I just remember this track playing over and over and over again and I don't know whether I'm allowed to mention that or whether that's Sam's job. Uh, No, you (laughs) mention um, away. But as a a direct result of that, I'm now a lifelong fan of of ABBA um, and my track is Super Trooper. And are you going to see the Avatar, as they're calling it, the ABBA virtual tour? 
Uh, probably not. I like. I, I've got street. Rep- I've got reputation. I need to keep and <laughs> things like that. And whilst I think VR and all that stuff is brilliant, I don't think you can replace the real ABBA. Okay. Well, let's listen to the real ABBA then.
there we go bring back good memories very very happily singing along here much to <laughs> sam's annoyance <laughs> it's the it's the silent boots that you've come in today you know the other boots i know special effort and all that thank you very much most appreciated over here uh right um we were talking about you leaving Northampton. You started off in PR, but before we get on to your work life, we're just going to cover off a little bit more about your personal life, yep. if that's okay. For sure. So, obviously, uh, you are now married. Yes. Um, but how did you meet Mr. Hurd? Well, I was out with a group of people I'd never met before, had my friend having gone home, and they took me to a place called the Piano Bar in London, which is where all oh, the people that. that are in shows yeah, yeah. go to afterwards and sit and sing around a piano. And I was propping up uh, the bar um, and he was stood next to me and I started chatting to him and told him the secret of how to look like you know what you're singing by just mouthing watermelon. So everybody will think you're, you know, the, wor- the words to everything. Um, <laughs> so that, obviously that chat up line worked um, because he proceeded to stalk me on the internet afterwards because oh. I told him who I worked for um, and sent me an email that night saying, can we go out? And it transpired afterwards. The only reason he did it was because I was the only girl that hadn't given him my phone number that night. So it wasn't really a great romance story. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, nobody's ever stalked me before. So that was kind of exciting. Um, and, uh, <laughs> We're not recommending stalking, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> exactly. That, that shows what a geek he is um and then yeah and then it just went from there and uh, so how long after did he get down on one bended knee no bended knee no um, bended, no knee. bended knee. did he ask your father no oh he wouldn't pass my test he did present a captain ring to me though as, as the wedding ring so that was right. very romantic um yeah about 18 months so we're in new york um and i was due to run the marathon but i had to pull out three weeks before because of a quite a bad knee problem um, and he did it there, which was in a, in a bar oh, called the Oak Bar, which is now not there anymore, which is oh. a bit of a shame. Yes, you can't go back for your anniversary. No, we can't. But no, at least it's in New York, slightly romantic. You know, it wasn't down in the Jolly Farmer, you know, over no, a pint. I do know people that have proposed in the Jolly Farmer, but it wasn't him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, on to the wedding, because it's your next track. It's uh, Michael Jackson and Thriller, but why Michael Jackson and Thriller? Go on, give us a bit of a background. So my piece of advice would be to any woman who's thinking or planning to get married, choose your people to go on your hen. No, No. choose the people who go on your hen do very carefully um, because my lot, including the mother-in-law and the mother, stitched me up royally um, by uh, booking a film studio dressing me as Michael Jackson they all dressed as zombies they hired a choreographer a guy to film it and we had to dance to Thriller dressed as Michael Jackson um, and then they filmed it and put it on YouTube amazing so uh, that's why I <laughs> that's why I've chosen Thriller and Jules decided to tell me that it was on YouTube so if you want to see this and watch along it's Jules Thrilling Hen Weekend on you can watch that as we're watching it now and uh, yeah it's actually very good. <laughs> Sorry, she's doing watermelon in the middle of all of this.
Yeah, that's not me laughing in the studio, I promise. That was brilliant. No, it was really good. Did you enjoy it, looking back on that? <laughs> yeah, it's a laugh. You've got to, you've got to uh, put yourself out of your comfort zone every once in a while. Yeah, no, it's, it's good to do that. Um, so, once you've done Thriller and once you've got married and you're back to work, we're in the PR company. Who is this PR company and what are you doing? So when I was, when I got married, actually, I was going for this job interview around the time that I was getting married and moving house and then going on honeymoon. So it was all a bit crazy. Um, but I basically, uh, prior, prior to getting married, I was working for a company called Weber Shandwick, which is an international PR agency. And I've been brought in uh, as one of the senior practitioners in the technology practice to co-run the Microsoft account which was effectively all of Microsoft's corporate business managing the reputation of, at the time, people like Steve Barmer and his team. Um, How did you manage him? I mean, that's uh, hard work. I'm kind of well used to managing difficult personalities. Um, so it, it practice and understanding the people very well and what their kind of push points are, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and then just kind of placing corporate stories in the likes of Reuters and, and uh, Financial Times and The Economist and things like that. Six weeks in, though, we pitched for their consumer business and won that as well. So I effectively spent 18 months running everything for Microsoft with a team of about 30, 35 people um, under me and, and a co-worker called John Mandeville, um, with the exception of Xbox, which was the fun part, was given to another agency. Um, and then, as I said, from there, uh, got married and then moved across to HTC which at the time was just a, a smartphone company really well known for its design um, but over the course of the six years that I was there diversified into wearables with a partnership uh, with Under Armour mm -hmm. and virtual reality with a partnership with Valve um, they also and this is uh, not known by many people bought uh, a 51% share in Beats before Beats was bought by Apple oh, really? so, so they made a nice little killing there well correct and, and they hadn't you know they, they the, the CEO share Wang is extremely good at spotting what the future is going to look like for from a tech perspective and who to partner with and things like that. Um, so, yeah, uh, I spent six years there and, and, and it was, you know, it was, it, I, was, I was in a pretty fortunate position in that I started off as head of European communications for, for obviously, for Europe. Um, and then by the time I left, um, I was global vice president of communications and, and my boss was the CEO, Xie Wang, and she became a sort of unofficial mentor to me um and and it was a, it was it was great times i you know i absolutely loved it it was bloody hard work um 90 hour weeks she used to call me five times a day at very random times Not, she never called you jules just called you five times just a day. called me five times a day hey five times a day can you just do this for me please yeah <laughs> um and and it was great um so I, I loved it and outside of that you were you were doing things like marathon running and stuff like that and yeah so i i am very fortunate in that there's some things in life that i'm very good at and other things that i'm less good at and and running um is one of them and at the time i was doing a few half marathons and without really much training which is not something that i would advise training is very important um, but unfortunately, um, as I said, I was gearing up for this New York marathon that we were running for a group of us at university. One of my friends has a little girl with cystic fibrosis. So we were running for Maisie only a few weeks before I had to pull out because I had my knee scanned and the specialist was like, absolutely not going to happen. Um, at the time when I was training, um, this track really helped me. As I said, the training was minimal, but which is probably why I needed to listen to it quite a lot. Um, but then uh, when I gave up running, I was obviously pretty unhappy um and took up rowing 
uh, which is really hard if anyone's ever tried it before it's like the hardest sport on the planet in, in my opinion anyway um, and part of rowing is, is, is on the water but your training involves going on a, a rowing machine called an ergo and having to do a, a, an awful lot of training on that um, which often influences where you're put in the boat the team that you're put with and things like that it's literally the hardest thing in the gym which is why most people don't go on it um, and this tune helped me on those 10k ergo stretches that I used to have to do on a Monday night so it's super important to me really love it it really helps get my mind in the right place for exercise and it is Faithless Insomnia So raving out here, a few blue pill tablets. No, I never took those. So um, so Insomnia, one of my favourite tracks as well, Faithless. Um, brilliant track if you, if you just want to have a quiet night in, dark room, or go out raving, either way. So that's the one that kept you going on the ergo. That's the one that kept you going when you were trying to get fit, when you were doing your rowing, like you were saying. Um, so were you in the crew? Were you with the Cox? What, what were you in the uh, rowing so I um, you, when when 
when you kind of start rowing, you go into go on like a learn to row course and then what happened at Maidenhead was that the coaches would come along and they'd look at you and think okay well you've got potential or you haven't or whatever else and then you're put into a dev squad um, and then from there you kind of progress based on how good you are so I was rowing when I stopped rowing I was rowing at uh, IM3 IM2 level around that um, I am being intermediate okay um, now I'm not um, a, a good rower by any stretch of the imagination technique wise I'm absolutely terrible I've got terrible wrists you know but I'm very 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 determined in a boat I don't like losing um, so I remember being in, in, a, in a race with a very good rower uh, 500 metres and you can't normally if you catch a crab you can't normally win on a, in a 500 metre race and we caught a crab right at the beginning and I was just absolutely catch confused. a crab being a technical term that you slip your oar or something is it? <laughs> Correct yeah so you go and take the first stroke and it basically screws up and, right. you're, and, you, and, and the other team's like legged it off the starting uh, <laughs> post and you're kind of sat there wobbling around in the water um but i just said to emma i was like there's absolutely no way we're going to lose this race um so because of kind of my determination and also mo- i moved the boat quite well despite the lack of technical skills um i uh, I, I kind of progressed like that really and, and 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 was rowing six times a week which is wow which is kind of if you're gonna if you you know it's, it's what the expectations are if you're going to be competing and you know i'm never going to be the best rower on the planet um but i really loved it and it was something that i did where i wasn't thinking about work which was pretty tough when you work for a taiwanese business um and you can just be yourself and everything everything is focused on making that boat work um which incidentally is why my company is called five in a boat um and not because i have a boat and i need drainage solutions that somebody emailed me about the other day (laughs) clearly hadn't looked me up on the internet properly um but because when you're rowing in a coxed four it's incredibly difficult everybody has um a role that that you know an important role in that boat but unless you work together unless you've got a shared vision unless you know where you're going that boat ain't ever going to win a race and it's exactly the same with a business unless you recognize people's roles in a business but work together to get to your final end goal then you're i don't think you're ever going to be a successful business no, i mean and i think that's a great name because that plays to what you did in your life but also what businesses need yeah um but before we get on to five and about yeah. what you're doing there, um, I wanted to find out a little bit more on this journey that you're taking. So um, we're at HTC along the journey. Uh, yeah. You fall pregnant um, and you were saying offline, you know, uh, it was a difficult uh, pregnancy in the sense that you'd uh, obviously sadly miscarried before. So, yeah. Yeah. so obviously this was a very precious baby that was going to be going. What, what, what did you do, you know, when you fell pregnant this time? So, um, so I've, uh, have a variety of problems which effectively have prevented me from being able to sustain a pregnancy. So I'd had seven miscarriage. I'd been to see a variety of specialists. Um, there's an excellent clinic in London called ARGC, which helps if you need IVF treatment. Um, they also do a series of in-depth blood tests called the Chicago tests, which gives you more information about your blood works. And what came back for me um, is that I have very uh, high natural killer cells, which effectively means that I'm not ill very often. I had glandular, glandular fever for three months without even knowing I just felt a little bit tired and had a sore throat and I was still rowing whilst I was doing this which obviously makes me a nutter um, but um, but it also um, in all seriousness it also prevents you from sustaining pregnancies because your body just re- rejects pregnancies right. so um, so I'd been through a lot um, the, the last miscarriage was um, was an IVF uh, baby lost uh, sadly miscarried at 12 weeks um, and then 
Ian, my husband and I went off to St. Lucia for a kind of uh, relaxation holiday, basically boozing it up, diving off diving boards into the water, fell pregnant naturally. And because I was, I knew what, what, what I needed to have treatment wise and things like that, came back very shocked, obviously did not want to get pregnant that quickly, mm-hmm. but it, it is what it is. And then had all the treatments. So effectively spent the next nine months um, having blood transfusions and having to... Um, inject myself daily and and things like that which was you know actually in the grand scheme of things you know it wasn't brilliant but you've been through so much by that point um it's kind of worth it you're you're gearing towards that end goal but the most frightening thing through all of it was having to tell my boss that I was pregnant because in Taiwan you're only given three weeks maternity leave and then you're expected to come back to work so I had to fly to Taiwan pregnant which I didn't want to do because it was early early days um sit down and say to her look I know that you just promoted me and etc etc but I'm pregnant um and to her full credit she turned around and and said that she thought it would be the best experience of my life it would turn me into a better person both personally and professionally because I'd need to learn to prioritize because having a family is very important and she believes in people being well-rounded and took it very gracefully but I didn't take maternity leave which was kind of the payoff or payback or however you want to phrase it um which was which was tough and I and I kind of wish I had done um retrospectively but um when you're in that position working for a, for a Chinese brand, it just uh, it's just not really the done thing. Um, so yeah, so I, uh, I, ha- I had Seraphin, um, and my next song is really dedicated to her because the lyrics just I just feel so happy when I look at her, um, and it's and it's Elton John's "Your Song." Yeah, I, I think uh, any woman out there will. Um yeah, that's a hard story, but I hope you enjoy this one. This is Jumon's to Finn out there. It's a little bit funny, this feeling inside. I'm not one of those who can easily hide. I don't have much money, but boy, if I did, I'd buy a big house where we both could live If I was a sculptor <laughs> But then again, no Or a man Who makes potions in a Traveling show I know it's not much But it's the best I can do My gift is my song This one's for you And you can tell everybody This is your song It may be quite simple But now that it's done I hope you don't mind I hope you don't mind That I put down the words How wonderful life is while you're in the world I sat on the roof and kicked out the moss well a few other verses well they've got me quite cross But the sun's been quite kind While I wrote this song It's for people like 
bit of Elton John your song that's your one for your daughter yeah great words I can see why you've chosen it um, right we're fast running out of time so we have to get on um, let's start to talk about what happened after HTC you're now at home you've got Seraphin and you're saying you, you go to Deezer yeah what is Deezer if you don't know for those who don't know for what those Deezer who don't know who what didn't Deezer hear is. your PR <laughs> for those who don't know what Deezer is uh, probably because they've got Spotify. Um, it, is a, uh, it is a global music streaming brand. Um, and obviously it offers probably now about 45 million tracks um, that you can stream accordingly with of multiple genres, et cetera, et cetera. So I, um, uh, you know, I, I was at HTC and I was loving it, but I kind of got to really the end of where I could go when you, when you, when you're that level for, a prolonged period of time you really have two routes you go out or you go up and my up was cmo and it's very difficult to move from a communications role into a cmo cmo role without having some sales or broader marketing experience um which at the time i, I didn't really have um being completely honest um so i was kind of weighing up my options very sad to leave because i because loved it but but felt it was the right thing to do and and uh and Deezer approached me and kind of come and said look you know we like your background we're we've we're kind of bit screwed um spotify is absolutely killing it in the streaming space we need someone to come in and effectively raise our share of voice in the media um and start pushing out some of our stories and you know building this storytelling framework for them what does it stand for why is it different why would you go to deezer versus someone else profiling some of the people within the business that had interesting stories to tell be that the vp of artist marketing or an engineer or the cco or, or whatever um and, and i just thought you know what i I, sh- I need to do this my ultimate goal was always to start my own business at some point but I didn't feel ready um I have a lot of experience in consumer technology but not specifically music um and it was a much smaller company HTC when I left was around 14,000 people Deezer was around 400 so multiple reasons for going to a company like that I love music you know learning about music streaming actually working really closely with a with a company that's that's growing kind of pretty quickly um, looking at the bad sides, the good sides, um, and, and do something that's, that's exciting. So I, I jumped ship and, uh, and went to Deezer. Okay, so two years at Deezer, yep. roughly, and uh, the, the itch that was a scratch, five in a boat, yep. 
still was there. So you started Five in a Boat. How long ago did you start Five in a Boat? I started it officially on March the uh, 19th. Okay, so March 19th this year. Yeah. Yeah. And what is Five in a Boat trying to do then? What are you trying to achieve with Five in a Boat? So, I mean, what Five in a Boat really does, and and obviously I'm a small company and I've only been going for three months, um, is effectively it's strategic communications um, and that can take many forms. So, you know, I have a a really strong belief that communications professionals should be on the board of companies um, and that they should be... No, I fully agree with that one, yeah. Yeah, and they should be used to help drive and grow business rather than as a kind of a reactionary measure when something goes wrong and they need their reputation fixing or, or something like that. So... I'm trying to build a business which effectively I, you know, write write strategies for companies in terms of, well, this is how you can bring communications into your field and actually help deliver against your objectives, whatever they might be, you know, new markets, customer acquisition, lowering churn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's my value. And I've worked um, for a lot of, you know, big brands, Virgin Mobile, Hagendas, KLM. Uh, obviously, I've talking, spoken about HTC and Deezer and worked, you know, with senior executive CEOs um, and understand how businesses operate and where communication sits within that. Now, underpinning that, there is an agency, um, which is obviously the five in the boat piece, which does everything from media relations, which is selling in stories to press, to uh, influencer engagement, because obviously that's huge nowadays, to reputation management. Um, I mean, all the kind of usual services that a communications agency would provide. Um, but but personally, it's that whole strategic uh, consultancy piece, which is, which is where my value really lies. You were telling me earlier about one of your clients, uh, Imogen Heap. Correct, yes. So who is Imogen Heap for those who don't know? So for those who don't know Imogen Heap, Imogen Heap is a Grammy Award winning uh, recording a music artist and technology innovator. Um, she has been responsible for writing her own music such as Hide and Seek, um, but also writing songs uh, for the likes of Taylor Swift, John Bon Jovi, Jeff Beck. Um, she also, uh, interestingly, when she was in, the, she's been in the music industry for a really long time and people know anything about the music industry um it's pretty archaic um a lot of it's driven by labels it takes a long time to get things through um and and you know really there were some problems that and still are problems that musicians face such as for instance payment um in the sense that it takes a very long time to pay an artist and sometimes they don't even get what they're meant to get um so Imogen was recognizing these problems because she uh, was facing them um and effectively has developed almost a sideline in technology um, where she's developing these technologies that help enable music makers. So it's, it's pretty interesting because obviously, you know, from my perspective, I've got, you know, tech super interesting, but the kind of the combination of that with music um, is, is also great. She also wrote the entire score for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. So, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so, so, you know, she's doing some great things and I'm very lucky that our paths crossed at the time they did. So... Tell me, uh, we were talking about something that she's been working on called Mimu Gloves. Tell me yeah. more about Mimu. So Mimu Gloves are really targeted at, um, at, at, at the music maker. Um, and, and, and what they are is it's a pair of gloves that you put on, which effectively uh, enables gestural technology. Um, so if you're doing a live performance on stage, you put these gloves on um, and you move fingers or move thumbs, etc., etc., And it enables you to give a more fluid performance, bringing in various sounds like drum beats and percussion and cymbals uh, and strings, etc., etc., um, And kind of removes the whole big tech interface that that musicians generally tended to have on have on stage so it's something that the industry is embracing you know it's still emerging technology but it's something that they're embracing um ariana grande uses them in her performances 
Um, there are people that are using them in the charity space um, because it actually helps people that are performing music that have disabilities as well. So um, really cool piece of tech. Uh, early days, but, um, but, but you know, super exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to play a bit from the video. It's um, Obviously, we're on radio. So if you go to uh, mimugloves.com, uh, you'll be able to see. So what we've got here is um, a lady with the Mimu gloves on and just through gesture motion is making sound and motion in the air. Um, it sounds a little bit sort of electronically. Is that what it's supposed to be? Yeah, I mean, they're originally designed for electronic music, um, but they've, I mean, the idea is, is that whatever kind of artist, whatever genre you, you know, you, you perform or you write your songs in, you can use these gloves. So it's pretty much for everyone. Okay, so I was just going to play a little bit from their video and just see what they had to say about it. Gloves are wireless, wearable, gestural controllers to control any sound with any movement or posture that you can make with your hands. How this night is still and sweet. The gloves are a fusion of hardware electronics, sensors, textiles, connected to a computer over Wi-Fi. All the electronic sounds and effects on my voice, but also synth sounds, um, I play with the gloves. We have electronic music, which is very much in a box. We want to take it out of the box, and we want to change the way electronic music has performed. So you can be as expressive as you would be playing acoustic instruments when you're controlling electronic music. It's much more performative and interactive with the audience than being on a computer pushing buttons. There's going to be music that's made in the future that's totally different based on these new types of controllers. So there we go, a little bit about Mimu Gloves. If you want to see the full video, go on to their website, mimugloves.com. So what else is Imogen doing? Sounds a really interesting lady. I must look at her. Yeah, she, she, I mean, she's, she's great. And she's so, you know, she's so down to earth. You, you know, you wouldn't think that she's this mega superstar. You know, she's just great to work with. Um, she is about to embark on a world tour, actually, which kicks off in September. First one she's done for eight years. And it's a really interesting format. So it's not your usual, let's go and play to a load of people. Although she is doing that. She's doing solo performances and she's reuniting with a guy called Guy Sigsworth, who, um, who she, she uh, played with in Free Free, which is an electronic band. Um, but she's also doing a bunch of con uh, a bunch of workshops and talks and an exhibition to promote what is known as the Creative Passport, which is effectively a digital identity standard for mu music makers to enable them to uh, talk more more effectively with each other. The pet whole pet enables smart, smart contracts, so the whole payment piece is much more transparent. Um, it's verified information about these music makers, so it's you know it's not made up. Um, and it's just something that the music industry has been crying out for. It, it, the whole smart contract piece is enabled through blockchain technology. So the idea is, is that you can get paid much more quickly, which, as I said earlier, is addressing that problem around payment that a lot of artists face. Um, so she's taking this whole uh, whole everything on tour um, under the under the brand of Mycelia, which is her effectively her bunch of creative people that are wanting to make a more flourishing, more vibrant, a more fair, you know, more transparent music ecosystem for everyone involved. And that kicks off in September. Again, I'm lucky enough to um, be helping her with it in, in, in multiple ways. And, it, and, and it's great. It's super exciting. So if you want to if you want to go and see her, then um, then, you know, then check it out. And what was the website again? Mycelia. How do you spell that? M-Y-C-E-L-I-A. Great. I will be checking that out. Okay, sadly, we've come towards the end of the show. That's been a one and a half hours. That went by rapidly. Crazy. Who knew I could talk for that long? My <laughs> husband. 